today, we've got a new point in our outline. Look, everybody look. How about that? We are now at the point of application in the book of Romans, the implications of being right with God. We have come through... I would be super-duper impressed if somebody could tell me what the other points of the outline have been. One... Sin, the need for being right with God. Two is justification by faith, the means for being right with God. Three, blessings. She's reading it, but that's all right. That's good. The results of being right with God. Four, vindication, sovereignty, and who is right with God. And so now today we come to point five of our outline, application, the implications of being right with God. We have covered a lot of ground in 20 plus months. And we come to Romans chapter 12 today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll be reading that in just a moment. 1976. Okay. Anybody ever heard of Francis Schaeffer? In 1976, Francis Schaeffer, who was a Christian apologist, thinker, philosopher, published what would become his signature work entitled, How Should We Then Live? The book and accompanying documentary film was an effort to trace the line of human thinking and reasoning as evidenced by philosophy, the arts and the pervasive culture through the years, beginning from as far back as ancient Rome, and how those things reached into our lives and shaped and created the culture and the way we think today. The book's title is The Ultimate Question That Hangs Over the Whole Work. Knowing what we've seen, knowing what has been laid out for us, how should we then live? Schaefer was ultimately saying that we are without excuse as we look back in our time and see our present culture in light of the way we have arrived at it over the last 2,000 years. Seeing the trajectory and the consequences that are possible as we choose our actions, we are responsible for making the right choices, doing the right things in order to live rightly. It's a fantastic book and I highly recommend it, by the way and have actually tossed around the possibility of using the documentary films on Wednesday night as a study. So be thinking about that, be praying about that. would really complement the truth project that we did very well. But anyway, if we never do that, read the book or listen to the book. That's what I did. I listened to it. But the book and its concept that it's built upon is exactly where we are today in our study of Romans. For over a year and a half now, we've studied the first 11 chapters of this book, exploring the deepest depths and the highest heights of doctrine, I believe, in all the Bible. Now, in light of all we've seen and heard and felt and absorbed, Schaefer's question confronts us afresh. This morning, April 23, 2017, Providence Bible Church, you and your individual seat, us together, how should we then live? in light of what all we've seen through the book of Romans. In the power and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul starts answering that question. 
in Romans chapter 12. If you would stand, we'll read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 together. We stand in honor of the God of the Word and the Word of God. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. God, we know that we are fallible. We know that we are sinners in and of ourselves. But we also know that Your Word is powerful. Your Spirit is powerful. The death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, and the glorification of Jesus is powerful. So today, would You recreate us again, afresh and anew, by the power of Your Word, by the power of Your Spirit, and like we just sang, by the power of Your risen life, Jesus. Make us new and help us to understand how we should live in light of the truths that we've seen so far in the book of Romans. Holy Spirit, teach us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Now, now where did Amen Corner go? I mean, we, we talk usually while I'm preaching. So where'd he go? I'm kind of like, you know, my left leg's gone. Wherever you are, Don. Miss you. Okay. Now, as we look into this passage today, this big whopping two verses, we're actually only going to cover verse 1 today. Um, and we'll focus on how to respond, how to shall now live, I guess. And what we're going to do is we're, only, we're going to take this first verse and we're going to break it down one clause at a time. And there are one, two, three, four, five clauses that we're breaking it down into. The first one is, I appeal to you therefore, brothers. The second is, by the mercies of God. The third, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The fourth, holy and acceptable to God. And the fifth is, which is your spiritual worship. So that kind of forms the outline of what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, Again, just a straight text. Uh, We're not, nothing... I do have a nice alliteration for the application point, so... Those of you that are addicted to alliteration adamantly, we'll give you a fix today. Okay, But the outline of the message is not laid out as such. It's just laid out as the verse is. And let me just say, there's a lot of stuff in these five clauses. Tim Keller says that Romans 12, 1 and 2 are a summary of the entire Christian life. That's why we're just looking at verse 1 today. Y'all just give me an hour, so I've just got to do what I can with that hour. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, they let you preach for an hour, why? No, they said, why do you preach for an hour? I said, because they won't let me go too. Between verses 1 and 2, there's a ton of implications, so we won't try to stuff it all into the hour this morning. And some of you visitors are going, an hour, really? i got to sit down. Hopefully it won't be that bad. So we'll only eat this elephant of verse 1, one bite at a time today. So let's look at verse 1. Let me read it again. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, that may look innocuous at first glance, but there really is a whole lot here. And taken in the context of what we've looked at over the last 20 months, it's even more than we see when we first look at it. And like I said before, we're going to look at it one clause at a time. Santa is nowhere to be found. The first clause we see is this. I appeal to you therefore, brothers. So what are we starting with? An appeal. Paul, who is the I here, issues an appeal. Now what's an appeal? Or actually a better question would be, what does it mean to issue an appeal? To appeal to someone or something. The word here in Greek is parakaleo. Let me read to you what that means. To call to one side, to call for, summon, to address, to speak to, to call upon, which may be done in the way of exhortation, entreaty, comfort, instruction, etc. To admonish, exhort, to beg, to entreat, and to beseech, which is my favorite word in that, beseech. If you have a different version of the Bible than the ESV that we're working with, you might have urge or beseech instead of appeal. Uh, And that's good. Um, We we like variety there. So the urge and the beseech kind of give an indication of what kind of appeal is being referred to here. It's, It's a very important, urgent kind of appeal. And I love that the definition mentions that it is a calling to one side which means Paul is saying that he is urging people to come up next to him, to travel with him in this request. It's not an individual appeal only. It's a call to come up alongside others who are on the journey as well. And just out of curiosity, does anybody know the Greek word for the Holy Spirit in this verse? Let me read John 14, 26. Keeping in mind... Urge, appeal, beseech, parakaleo. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And you know what the word for the Comforter is here? Paraclete. Paraclete. Now what was our word for urge? Parakaleo. So the Helper, the Comforter here is the Paraclete. Parakletos. Now do you see a connection here? Paul, in urging us here in Romans, is actually helping us see what he is for, what, is he, what he is appealing for is in a helping way. So he's urging in a helping way, a coming alongside way. It's a serious plea, but it's a serious plea with help. And I would even say it's safe to say with the very help of God included in it. Calling to one side with an urgent plea in order to help. That's what we're talking about when when he's saying, I urge you, I beseech you, I appeal to you. And that's what Paul is doing here at the outset of the verse. And who is he appealing to? Brothers. Hello, brothers. He is appealing to the brothers, the believers who this letter is being written to. Now, we can say brethren, 
and that might run the risk of leaving out the cistern, right? But brothers implies sisters too. It means the children of God. We are your sons. We are your daughters. Hallelujah. We are who you say we are. So when he appeals to the brothers, he's appealing to believers. The believers who this letter is being written to. This plea is for believers. And I love that thought as far as this plea being for us to urge one another on and to help each other as we approach what Paul is urging them on to, which we'll see in just a little bit. This, listen to me, this is a collective call for help and exhortation to, for, and from each other in the church, which makes membership and accountability in a local church so much more important as we consider what follows. Because what we're going to see in what follows is this affects every single area of your life. So having brothers and sisters who you are accountable to, who you can receive help from and exhortation from is a very important thing. Brothers, I appeal to you, therefore. Now, one more word that I skipped over that's in this clause demands our attention. I appeal to you, therefore. Now when we see therefore, what do we ask ourselves? What's it there for? That's right. Now, that, listen, everyone goes, yeah, we say that every time we see therefore. But really, when you see therefore, you need to ask the question, what is that therefore there for? So, let's look at that verse again, paying attention to the wherefore. The therefore, sorry. Wherefore art thou, therefore? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Now, what is this therefore, therefore? Therefore is a way of referring back to what was said before, right? So what was said before here? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. A a whole lot was said before here. We talked about this in our last message on Romans, which has been a few weeks ago, actually, when we reviewed chapters 1 through 11. And Paul is surely referring back to all of that in this therefore. Chapters 1 through 11, I appeal to you, therefore... Brothers, he's saying since chapters 1 through 11 are there, since we know about sin and righteousness and faith and grace and expiation, propitiation, imputation, justification, sanctification, salvation, since we stopped in Asian Station several times, since all of that is there, therefore, since all of this, then... And the immediate preceding context calls for attention as well. Let's go back. And what I want to do is read 11.33 through 12.1 to get the flow of thought because, again, chapter divisions are kind of a bane of my existence. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. From Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Keep in mind that what is being appealed to 
that what is being urged toward is because it is all from Him and through Him and to Him, and it is all about His glory. Since this is true, therefore... Therefore what? Well, we'll see that in a minute or five. But first we have to see our next clause. So we saw, I appeal to to you therefore, brothers. Next clause is, by the mercies of God. We've been urged in light of what we have seen, and we have seen that this urging and appealing is for brothers to come alongside and encourage each other. And that's great and glorious. But, thank God, that's not all we have to be encouraged by. We are called to be urged on by more than just the truths we know and the brothers we know. We are urged and encouraged by the mercies of God. I urge you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Now first, let me make sure you understand that what we are being urged on to is well beyond us. Before we get to that point, you need to understand that what we are being called on to, what we are being urged on toward, exerted toward, exhorted toward, exerted, exhorted, is something that we can't do, guys. You need to understand that up front before we get to it. We haven't really talked about what we're being urged on to, but you need to know that it is beyond you, which makes this clause very important. Remember back at the beginning of the message that we're talking about the whole Christian life in a nutshell in these first two verses of Romans 2. And we'll see that in the next clause. But we need more than just the right information And we need more than just some good help around us. Listen to me. If we are going to live the Christian life, we need the very presence, the very power, and the very person of God if we are to be successful. If we are to do what we are being urged to do, we need the mercies of God. Now, I was intrigued as to why mercy was used here instead of grace. I've heard and I've said before that mercy is an Old Testament word and grace is a New Testament word. You've probably heard before, justice is getting what you deserve, mercy is not getting what you deserve, and grace is getting what you don't deserve. Catch that? Everybody with me there? And I would think, if I'm Paul, which I'm not, I would put, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the grace of God. But why did he say mercy? First of all, you should correct me because he didn't say mercy, did he? Hmm. Oh, we do have to be careful of our plurals. The call is to the mercies of God. Now, why mercies? Let me tell you, church, this is really good news. He doesn't say He urges us by the mercy of God or by God's mercy. No, He appeals to us as brothers by the mercies of God. Now, what's the difference? Let me give you the definition of mercies. Only five times in the New Testament. Authorized Version translates as mercy five times. Compassion, pity, mercy. Bowels in which... That's not bowels, by the way. Bowels. You read that right. Bowels. Bowels in which compassion resides, a heart of compassion. Longings, emotions, manifestations of pity. Now do you get that? This tells us God understands 
that what we're being urged to is more than we can handle, and He feels compassion for us. He has a heart of compassion for us, and He lovingly pities us. And that's good news. He's like, well, He don't have to pity me because I'm all right. No, you're not all right. I'm not all right. God associates with us. Psalm 103, 14. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And I'm glad He remembers that. I'm glad that that's His expectation of me and that He has compassion and shows mercies toward me. How much compassion does He feel to the point, Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive what? Mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm telling y'all, that's a load off my shoulders. We have this idea that God is angry and upset with us when we fall short. He knows that we are but dust. Jesus was tempted every way that we are tempted yet without sin. And since He overcame sin in the flesh, in this dust wrapped himself up in dust and lived a perfect life. And since he did, he says, come near. With what? Confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You ain't got to be perfect, y'all. Now listen, Jesus said, Sermon on the Mount, you therefore shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I see that much more as a promise then I do a command. One day, I'm going to be perfect. It ain't right now though. And since I'm not, I come to the throne of grace with confidence to receive mercy and to find grace. That's what we're talking about here when we talk about the mercies of God. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Jesus knows all the ways that we struggle. Did you hear what I just said? Guilt and shame are powerless. He knows how we struggle. And He overcame our struggles. And Bob asked me before the message if we could talk sometime about the resurrection life and how that's the key to living the Christian life. That's what we're talking about right here. It's exactly what we're talking about. The very life of the resurrected Christ has been given to us by the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome, to receive that grace, to receive that mercy when we need it. So it takes the responsibility off of me to be perfect because Jesus has already been perfect and gives me the power to overcome. Listen to what I'm about to say. It is not okay to sin. It's not okay. Sin grieves the heart of God. But when we sin, we have an advocate, a helper, a paraclete with the Father, the man Christ Jesus. And there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, so I don't have to be perfect right now. By the mercies of God, I have a helper. And that's really good news. So after all this build-up, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, 
To do what? Next clause. To present your bodies (laughs) as a living sacrifice. Now what? (laughs) This is what we get. This is what we're urged on to. What about saving the world? What about the hungry and the poor and the destitute? What about wars and rumors of wars? What about great things? What about impacting the ends of the earth until the end of time with the gospel of Jesus Christ? What about lepers? What about demons? Now, I would never say that those things don't matter, but ultimately, when we ask God what He wants from us, He replies definitively, I want your body. Let that sit on you for just a second. God, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to be? God, what do you want? I want your body. I want you to present your body as a living sacrifice. But God, shouldn't I be doing, shouldn't I, shouldn't I, shouldn't I? I want your body as a living sacrifice. But God, I want to do great things. I've got big plans. I can do this for you. And I've got, I've got contacts in this country and I can go all over the world. And God, there's, there's so many things I could do. A drug outreach, I could do this. And God says, I want your body. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Please, urgently and importantly, knowing the great high doctrinal truths of chapters 1 through 11, and for the glory of God Almighty, by the affections and compassion of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. (laughs) Now that you know who you are, Now that you know what's been done for you, now that you know whose you are, present to God your body. Your body. And I want you to hear what I'm about to say. That is the very essence of the Christian life. What does it mean to be Christian? That I give my body to God as my spiritual service of worship. Really? That's it? That's it. That sums it up. You were adopted in the secret counsel of God's will through elective grace and eternity past for one reason. To present your body to God. He bought you and enlivened you with resurrection life so that you could present or yield or give up Your body. And what's the end goal of presenting your body? It is to be done as a living sacrifice. Now what's that mean? It's a clever line, isn't it? Living sacrifice. Like Paul is so witty. (laughs) He's not being witty. Paul's using Old Testament language here to project a picture of offering to God what he has prescribed for worship. In the Torah, in the Levitical laws, there are five main types of sacrifices or offerings commanded. 
whole burnt offerings, sin offerings, guilt or trespass offering, and the meal offering. One, two, three, four. Yeah. Out of these five, four of them, all of them but the meal offering, required an animal to be killed or sacrificed with portions of it going to the altar, portion of it going to the priests, and a portion of it going to the person who sacrificed it. And there were specific instructions as to what to do with the flesh, the blood, the entrails, even the dung. Yeah, that dung. Specific instructions in these sacrifices, what to do with all that. But the main point was that something had to die in the sacrifice. And by God's direction in the Old Testament, animals died instead of the people who committed the sin... Animals died instead of the ones who were offering the sacrifice. And it was a picture way back from Genesis when God slayed some animals and made coverings of skin for Adam and Eve after they sinned. It was a picture of the requirement of blood for the remission of sins. That's replete in the Old Testament. But the blood of these animals took away no one's sin. It was a picture. A picture of what? A picture of the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of the redeemed, namely the man Christ Jesus. So when Jesus was sacrificed for our sins, His blood paid the penalty for our sins. Listen to Hebrews 9, 22-26. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Let me pause there for a second. What he's saying is, in the earthly worship, in the temple, in the tabernacle, they are types, shadows, the copies of the actual heavenly things. So the earthly things had to be cleansed with blood from earthly things. But the heavenly things, the real things in the real presence of God had to be washed, cleansed by something better than the blood of animals. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Whoa! Nor was it to offer Himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places in the Old Testament every year with blood not His own. For then Jesus, He, would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, listen church, He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do what? To put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Woo! That would give you the holy shivers right there, y'all. That is powerful. What did He do? He put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. So do we need to sacrifice animals anymore? Lord, no. Mm-mm. No, we don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> That's awesome. But now that the sacrifice for sins has been taken care of once for all, what sacrifice are we to present to God? What did David say? I will not sacrifice to God that which costs me nothing. The guy was trying to give him the land to build the temple on. He's like, no, 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 I'm going to pay you for it. (laughs) Now listen, be careful with that attitude. We won't go there today. 
What are the sacrifices today? We are to present our bodies as living sacrifices. Our bodies, my body, your body, as a living sacrifice. That's the sacrifices today. What was the purpose of the sacrifices in the Old Testament and in Jesus' death? To satisfy God, to please God. In the Old Testament, when the sacrifices were being described, it would say when they were done right that they were a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The smoke of the fire going up was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. That phrase is used 86 times in the Old Testament. So where is that pleasing aroma found today? Let me tell you what, the Bible is really cool. Look at 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 17. But thanks be to God, Paul says to the Corinthians, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one a fragrance from death to death to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? (laughs) For we are not like so many peddlers of God's Word, but as men of sincerity as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Now did you catch what happened back there? Mm. Through us, God spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere, for we are the aroma of Christ to God. And it is a pleasing aroma to the Lord. We are living Not dead sacrifices, but living sacrifices. And as living sacrifices, as we present our bodies to God, we are a pleasing aroma to God. And from God to the world. You ever smelled something that you just thought was beautiful and somebody said, that's gross? Yeah. Paul addressed that in Corinthians. He said, for some people we're a stench from death to death. But to those who are believing from life to life, we are the pleasing aroma of Christ to God and to the world. God accepts it as we offer up our holy sacrifice of our bodies, our lives, our beings. God accepts it. And like we saw in this passage, it pleases Him to accept it. And why should we offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice? Next clause which is your spiritual worship. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. We didn't touch that too much. Holy and acceptable to God just means God sets us apart. God sets our worship from our bodies apart. And it's acceptable to Him. We sang today, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. And as we offer up this holy sacrifice of our bodies, God accepts it. And we should offer up holy and acceptable worship to God. Why? Because that is our spiritual worship. We said back at the end of chapter 11 that the point of all of what we had seen was what? Was worship. 
Here we see that in plain view. Paul urged us by the mercies of God to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual, your spiritual worship. Now do you get that? Listen to me. The most spiritual thing that you can do The most spiritual thing that you can do, the best worship you can give God, is to present your body as a living sacrifice. Now listen, you'll have people who talk about their ecstatic experiences. And they'll elevate those experiences and say, Oh, it was so spiritual. The most spiritual thing that you can do is offer your body to God because that is your spiritual worship. And your worship literally means service to God. To present your body to God is your service to God. And I can't get over that, guys. You want to worship God in a spiritual way? Give Him your body. Your body is your worship. Your body is your worship. And goodness gracious, do you see the implications of that? Your body is your worship. You know what that affects? Everything. Everything. Unless you have out-of-body experiences, George Strait did, right? By transcendental meditation, I go there each night. But I always come back to myself long before daylight. All my exes live in Texas. (laughs) Unless you leave your body for some reason, everything you do in your body is worship is to be worship. Now listen, isn't it real important that I establish before this that this is not about guilt and shame and blame and pointing out how bad you are? By the mercies of God, God understands that we are but dust. And He calls us by His mercies with the help of our brothers, with the help of this rock-solid foundation, a doctrine that we saw in chapters 1-11, through to take our bodies and make our bodies our worship to God. Again, look back over this past week. Anybody mess up this week? Anybody sin this week? Anybody do something with your body that you wouldn't consider to be worshipful? Shame on you! That's not the biblical call. The biblical call says, by the mercies of God, now, again, today, and every day, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Your body is your worship. Everything you do with your body, which includes your mind, your soul, your spirit, your thoughts, your words, your actions... And before studying this this week, I thought, I would just think present your spirit to God. Because that's, that's the pure part of us, right? When your body contains your spirit. The body without the spirit is dead, 
what Scripture says. So your body contains all of you. Everything, every part of you. Your body, your mind, your soul, your spirit, your thoughts, your words, your actions. Present that as your worship. Now I'm going to jump over and I'm going to do the unthinkable, y'all. It's really not unthinkable. I'm going to turn to the message. The message says this so well. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Now I kind of feel guilty because I kind of feel like I could have read the ESV version, then read this and just said, that's it guys, congratulations. We just interpreted this text. Because that's really good, people. Let me read it again. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. That is perfect. That is great. That is fantastic. One other thing here. Anybody King James loyal? It's all right if you are. Let me read it in the King James. I beseech ye. Sorry, I made that up. Ye. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You know what that means? It means it just makes sense. It's a reasonable, reasonable thing you can do. To put it in the King Jason version, I just say it just makes sense. And yes, I am a king. It's, it's like here in the King James, they're saying, why wouldn't you? What can I do but thank you? What can I do but give my life to you? What can I do but praise you? Every day make everything I do a hallelujah. Well, that just makes sense. It's just reasonable. Seeing everything that was done for us in chapters 1 through 11, isn't it just reasonable that we would take our bodies and offer them to God saying, God, everything that happens with this body is worship to you. That's just reasonable. It just makes sense. He's given us everything. He's done everything for us. He's given us righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He's given us the very life of His Son. He's given us His very Spirit to live in us, who through Him the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. So doesn't it just make sense that we should say, God, here it is. This is my worship. Not preaching only, but sitting and listening going back and eating, getting in your car and going home, having a bowl of ice cream at home, that's good. Playing with your kids in the yard, that's good. Doing all these projects to finish grad school, maybe not so good. That's good. It just makes sense. What can I do but thank you? What can I do? Make everything I do a hallelujah. It just makes sense. So let's wrap it all up with some application. Three points of application 
And for you alliteration hounds, I'm with you. I feel you. To go back to the opening, let's answer the question with these application points. How should we then live? The easy answer to that question is we should live a life of worship. It's your spiritual worship is what the ESV says. Your reasonable service there in the King James. How should we then live? We should live a life of worship. We should live worshiping. And our passage today shows us three ways, three modes, if you will, of worship. Going back to the ESV. Worship with your brothers. Worship, and this was the reach I had. There's always one reach when you try to alliterate. There's always one reach. Worship with your brothers. Worship by your benefactor. And worship in your body. Worship with your brothers. Worship by your benefactor. Worship in your body. What does worship with your brothers mean? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers means it is essential, essential that you are accountable to and encouraged by a local group of believers. That you're not a church connoisseur flitting about like a butterfly from flower to flower, drawing a little nectar here, a little nectar there for yourself. This is a corporate life that we live. Your worship is to be corporate worship in everything that you do. You bring your sin into this place, you affect everybody here. You live your sin out there, you affect everybody in here. Me too. There is a corporate accountability to our worship with our body. So as you go out to worship, worship with your brothers. Everything you do, you are worshiping with your brother. We are the aroma of Christ to God. We are. I'm not. You're not. We are. So worship with your brothers. Worship by your benefactor. Who is our benefactor? Benefactor is somebody that does good to you or for you. God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. If you are going to worship, you are going to worship by the power that God provides. This is not about physical urges and physical longings, trying to make yourself do physical things that might somehow please God. This is about presenting your body as a living sacrifice and saying, God, if you don't do this in me and through me, it will not get done. I am not calling you to make a better list, to try harder, to bite your lip, to do a little better tomorrow than you did today. I'm asking you to worship God by the mercies of God. By the compassion that He feels for us in knowing that our frame is but dust. Knowing that we're not perfect and we will not be perfect until we see Him face to face. Throw yourself upon the mercies of God and worship that way. God, if I'm going to do anything acceptable to you, it has to be done by you through me. Worship with your brothers. Worship by your benefactor. And finally, worship in your body. Your body. 
right now. You are alive in a body. Blinking and chewing and swallowing and sleeping? Who's sleeping? Just kidding. What can I do every day, make everything I do a hallelujah in my body? Listen, Christianity is a religion that redeems the whole person. We are not some, again, some astral projection. God purify me on the inside. And oh, the dualists and oh, the, the, uh, the Gnostics who would say there's nothing good in our flesh. What was it Yoda said, right? Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. Well, that's not completely wrong, but it sure ain't completely right. God wants to redeem even our flesh. And we saw in Romans 7 that sin resides in our flesh. Not in our skin, but in the physical part of us. Sin resides there. And we'll never be done with that until we see Jesus face to face. But in the meantime, what do we do with our sin? We kill it. By the mercies of God, by the Holy Spirit of God, we see our sin that we commit with our body and we confess it, we forsake it, we repent of it, we kill it and we say, God, by Your mercies, I want my body to be a living sacrifice to You. My body. For the sake of my brothers, for your glory, I want this body, these fingers, these ears, these eyes, this mouth, I want it to worship you. I want to present to you, God, my body, which is my reasonable act of spiritual worship. And I will say it again, that affects everything you do. That affects how you set your alarm for in the morning. That affects what you consume when you go back here and sit down and eat. That consumes what money you spend and what money you don't, what money you give. That consumes everything you think, look at, smell, taste, touch, hear. Everything. I think about Job saying, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How could I look upon a virgin? What are you looking at? What are you listening to? What are you saying? What are you doing? What are you putting your hands on? What are you clicking with that right index finger? Because it's supposed to be worshipful. The right index finger is to worship. How are we doing? By the mercies of God... Today can be different. By the mercies of God, tomorrow can be different. And again, hear me say, I am not asking you to try harder to do better. No, no, no. Forty-three years of trying harder and doing better have earned me nothing with God. But leaning on the mercies of God, trusting in the grace of God, seeing the compassion that He has for me, and trusting that His Holy Spirit is able to overwhelm and overcome my fleshly desires, I have done some good. He has done some good through me. As I have presented my body and said, God, here is my worship. This is all I got. He says, I know what you got. I gave it to you. Genetically, physiologically, 
emotionally, sociologically. I gave it all to you for one purpose. I want you to worship me with that body. And what he commands, he gives the power to obey. So how shall we then live? We shall live worshiping, church. We shall live presenting our bodies to God as a living sacrifice, knowing that this is our spiritual service of worship. This is life now. Life is worship and worship is life. Life is my body and my body is worship. That's how I'm going to live now. By the mercies of God. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my hands. Take my voice. Take my silver and my gold. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. That's what we're talking about this morning. Worship with your brothers. Worship by your benefactor and worship in your body today and forever. Let's pray. God, what you call us to is impossible in the flesh. But by the mercies that you provide, by the grace that you provide, by the Holy Spirit of God who has been caused to dwell in us, this is not only possible, it's reasonable. It makes sense. So God, would you help us as your people to know who you have said that we are, And we sang today, hallelujah, we are who you say we are. We are your sons, we are your daughters. So we lift our hands and cry, Abba, Father, hallelujah, we are who you say we are. God, our prayer today, take our lives, take our bodies, and let them be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And may everything we do be a hallelujah to you. What else could we do? How then shall we live? How else could we live when we see who you are and what you've done? We praise you. We thank you for the grace of Christ in his name. Amen. We just stand and receive a benediction as we dismiss. And if you can, please stay and eat with us. We like to eat food. Food is worship, right? Absolutely. Worship God with what you eat today. That's good. Enjoy it. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And all God's people said, Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.